Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my buddy, Chris Johnson. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much. I got to tell you, there's a little more pressure this time, Dimitri, because I've oh, been out that? on the Stanley Cup trails, and I, I can't believe the number of people have approached me and said they've enjoyed hearing us on the PDO cast. So we've got a lot of listeners out there working for NHL teams right now. I can't believe people are actually listening. I, uh... I know. It used to feel like just you and I having a chat before. Yeah. I, it seems that uh, your audience is growing, my friend. <laughs> That's good to hear, man. Uh, okay, let's get into it because I feel like, uh, you know, there's, is this going to be a pretty busy offseason just based on everything that we've, all the rumblings we've heard so far and, and some of the moves we've seen already? It's, it's, uh, there's no real rest here between the, uh, the end of the postseason and the start of this offseason. Not at all. And, and, you know, really, well, the playoffs, you know, all the focus is on those four teams or two teams as you get down to the end. But the reality is there's 20 plus other teams that, for a month now, I've been doing a lot behind the scenes, and I think now that the season's over, and obviously as the entry draft approaches, uh, you know everyone's kind of been gearing up for this period, and we've already seen some trades and some signings, uh, a couple buyouts, and uh, we're going to see a whole lot more in the next few weeks. Mm. Well, let's get into that trade uh, for anyone that missed it. It was between the Blackhawks and the Hurricanes, and the Blackhawks basically wanted to get rid of Brian Bickle's contract off their books and they had to attach uh, Tuevo Teravainen with it and got a couple of picks back in return and I don't know let, let's let's break it down from both sides but first let's start with the Blackhawks because I think there's a bunch of stuff to kind of chew on here just in the sense that I saw uh, a Hawks beat reporter Mark Lazarus tweet out a list of the cap casualties the Blackhawks have had during this era of winning and it's it's remarkable you could pretty much uh, I, I wonder if you just use this team of guys that they had to send out just because they couldn't afford them anymore i wonder if like that team would be one of the best teams in the league well maybe instead of an expansion draft we'll just give vegas uh all the players the that chicago's had, yeah. had had to give away or, or trade away or, or let walk in free agency as a result of their cap situation and it, it really is remarkable that they've been able to i mean it speaks obviously to the quality of the core players they have but also i think in stan bowman and his staff's ability to to find either through the draft or in other ways players to compliment them that this team's been so competitive for so long and and you you wonder when the moment comes that almost too much is too much that that you know that they've had to to give away too much of their core because clearly Tavo Teravainen is not someone they had any interest at all in in parting with but 
to get rid of Brian, Brian Bickle's contract. And I think to do it now, a week out from the draft, and, and just as we're all expecting the salary cap number to be finalized, was was important enough that they, they stomached that and got a couple draft picks, and we'll move along and try to, I guess, re- replace Tavo's skates a, a little bit in their lineup. Well, it's a bit of a catch-22 situation, just in the sense that they've been the gold standard over this past nearly decade now. I think they've, they've won three titles, and they've made two more conference finals, which they've lost to the Kings there. And, and you know, they I, I look back, and they hadn't had any playoff series wins in the 12 years preceding that stretch, so I don't think their fans are complaining by any means about uh, what's going on in the past few years here. But when you do a ton of winning like this, you and it, it sort of like accumulates just in the sense that generally means you have a lot of good players and with the cap system kind of in ensuring that there's gonna be parity around the league it's just not feasible to necessarily keep all these guys and that's only heightened when you make missteps with contracts which you wind up regretting well and, and i have to think that one of the next things that's going to come and it probably won't be this off season but maybe as soon as next one is they're going to have to contemplate getting rid of one of their big money guys one of the one of the guys that has been a core member of the franchise because you know at, at some point you do need to i think have the youth come up and and you know you need especially in their case with so many top heavy contracts they need players on entry-level deals or or you know contracts less than a million dollars a year that can contribute a little bit for them to have continued success and you know it's it's funny too that the kind of catch-22 they find with Artemi Panarin where obviously he was a great signing from the KHL but for him to hit all of his schedule A and B bonuses has really put them in this bind in addition to the Bickle contract and you know he earned two and a half million dollars in bonuses which essentially are all being carried over to the 2016-17 season and you know if, if you're looking at any kind of culprit and and i don't mean that as in terms of someone that to be blamed too much but that that's one of the main reasons they're in in calf trouble again is that you know one of the guys they found who was a great story this year uh, has ultimately ended up you know making a lot of money which he's earned but but it's also hurt them in terms of what they can do for next season yeah well i i sympathize with bowman a little bit just in the sense that i i understand the the human element to this sport and how you know you can't just necessarily view all these transactions from just a cold-blooded calculated perspective where you're just cutting the tie whenever the guy stops providing value for you like you need to you know have be tactful about it but at the same time like the the Bickle contract, I, I feel like the second that was signed, I, I don't think anyone was necessarily thinking that this was going to really work out well for the Blackhawks, right? Like he had one year with 15 goals. Uh, he'd never hit 40 points. And then all of a sudden he had this 20, 20 or so game stretch where his shooting percentage is through the roof and he's playing with some of the best players on the team. And then they wind up rewarding him for four years, 16 million. And that was just kind of a, that seemed like a poison pill from the second it was uh, signed. It looks like a cautionary tale. And, you know, if there's any positive, you're the Pittsburgh Penguins. They don't really have any players other than UFA uh, Ben Lovejoy, the defenseman. But they don't have anyone in a sort of similar circumstance. Because you're right. I think uh, the difficult things is, is when you win a Stanley Cup. I mean, the, the Blackhawks, I believe, once played till June 15th for one of their cups. I mean, the, you're basically playing right up until the draft. You, you know, as a GM, you're going through the emotions of that. Obviously, the excitement of winning. And then, you know, to, to not sign one of those guys who's contributed so much to a cup, I think, you know, so quickly afterwards can be a difficult decision. And, you know, we've seen Stan Bowman do that in the past when, when they won their first cup. It was, you know, two or three days later, and they're shipping out Andrew Ladd and Christopher Stieg at the time and, and some others, Dustin Bufflin, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so so he's had to do it. But I do think in some ways the timing is part of it. I mean, you, you get swept up in, in seeing your team win. And, and in Brian Bickle's case, the just so happened he had that good playoffs. And as you're saying, now that we're removed from it, you can see why, but you know, I, I can understand 
in some ways how it's happened, but certainly for any other future teams that, that win, or even if the Blackhawks get back there again, I think that, that there's enough kind of evidence here that you have to think really clearly about uh, what you're doing if you, if you want to win a second or third or fourth. And, you know, the Blackhawks get the ultimate pardon because of just how much winning they've done. And uh, I would think as long as Stan Bowman wants to, he'll get he'll get an opportunity to tear this thing down and take another shot at it at some point whenever they do enter a rebuild. Well, I, I do wonder that that seems like the next logical question for us to tackle, like where the Blackhawks go from here, because uh, clearly, I mean, they pushed the Blues to a game seven there and it could have really gone either way. And they're still clearly a competitive team and they have a ton of talent. But I think that people sort of they weren't necessarily paying really close attention to them this season didn't necessarily realize that there were some red flags here with this team just because Crawford's excellence in net and Kane's otherworldly offensive production on the ice sort of masked a ton of their flaws that they had as a team with uh a 5-on-5 performance that was definitely dropping and wasn't what we'd seen from them in years past and it makes sense because you look at the depth of this team and it's it's definitely been eroding and and now I just kind of wonder how they're going to fill all these gaps right they have guys like Ryan Hartman and, and Nick Schmaltz on the way and I know Stan Bowman's talked about them and and they have drafted well and and so you know Stan Bowman's earned enough benefit of the doubt here that you, you should believe that he's going to be able to continue replenishing this talent until we see evidence that he's not going to be able to but I just kind of wonder what this team's going to wind up looking in the next couple of years from now. Yeah, I almost feel like he's probably going to just keep trying to run it until they hit a ditch, until they really get to a point where there's no turning back. I mean, it's it's difficult when you've signed you know players like Kane and Taves to the amount of term and, and money that you have. I mean, and they're still productive players. Certainly Patrick Kane had a tremendous season this year. Maybe it wasn't Jonathan Taves' best, but I don't think – I don't think he's, you know, on the steep decline just yet or anything mm-hmm. like that at his age. And and you know, if anything that that I saw from the Penguins, you know, that that was a core. If we had been talking with them in September, I would have probably been asking, is it time to to start doing something differently? Do you trade, you know, Malkin perhaps, or you know, do you start contemplating uh, almost hitting the eject button on that core? And and obviously they managed to get the right players around them. And I, I would think. In Chicago, even with the cap issues and, and where they stand and uh, and the red flags that you mentioned this season, that they still are kind of inclined to to find ways to, to fill out around the, their main players and, and you know keep trying until, as I say, there's there's almost no other way uh, to go but but a rebuild because you know they've strapped themselves to these guys and you know even by winning three cups, they're likely going to be the team of this generation. But if they can get a fourth, I mean it's it's basically a virtual certainty at that point. And you know I, I don't I don't fault them for for kind of going all in on this hand because they've, they've had such a good run and you know i still think that there's reason enough to believe that a kane taves keith led team can win a stanley cup you just need uh, the right guys around them and, and it's awfully difficult when we're having this conversation parallel to the other one where they're having to give some of those potential players away just because of cap issues yeah yeah and i and i kind of look at some of these other contracts that they have and like they they must be a little bit concerned about what's going to happen with the with the hosa contract right like that there's a potential for a cap recapture penalty there there is yeah i believe is he entering the one million dollar year is, not yeah. this season or the year after i think it's the year after yeah Right. And, and, you know, I don't have the, the numbers in front of me, but essentially if he were to retire in that year or any of the subsequent three or four, uh, they would be dinged with a pretty significant penalty, something that was included in the most recent uh, collective bargaining agreement because the league was so angry at all the contracts that, that had those those backdiving deals, as they were called at the time, to, mm-hmm. designed to lower the, the overall cap hit. And, you know, maybe Marion Hosa will channel his inner Yarmir Yager and find a way to play his way through 
you know, all or most of that deal and it won't be such a concern. But, you know, every year that that's going to have to be on their minds, especially just because they leave so little room for, for error. And, and, you know, a lot of people kind of concluded after the, the Teravinen deal uh, in Bickle, you know, which opened up about $5 million in cap room that it meant that they were automatically going to be able to resign Andrew Shaw. And, and, you know, Stan Bowman kind of tapped the brakes on that. And, you know, I can't blame him because, you know, the reality is we talked about parents' bonuses. Well, I mean, what's to say he's not going to hit them again this year? And and, right. and even though he created a lot of space with that move, it might just be the space needed to kind of have the team as it is. And, and you know, I would think that, that there's still going to be more maneuvering that needs to be done uh, for the Blackhawks. But, you know, Stan actually has been a bit of a Houdini with the cap. He's found a way uh, numerous times where everyone thought he was cornered and, and to, to find room and to keep his team afloat. And, you know, I think for them, it's a it's a particularly important offseason, much like Tampa Bay, for the same reasons. I mean, they haven't won a cup yet, but but they have a lot of decisions to make with their key people and, and how they handle their cap situation. And, you know, basically both of these teams are probably among those dismayed that, that our, the salary cap is not going to rise very much, if at all, for next season. Yeah, yeah, I know for sure. And, and, and you're speaking of that Houdini act that Sam Bowman's done. And we, we saw it this year's trade deadline, right, where he takes on Ladd, Fleischman, and and, and Dale Weiss. And, and somehow, considering they were already up against it financially and just makes it all work. And, and he, he's done a great job. I, 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 you know, he, as I said before, he's definitely earned the benefit of the doubt in the sense that I'll, I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll be critical of the individual moves he makes like this one and, and the Bickle signing and stuff like that. But in the big picture, like the, there's plenty of reason to be confident that they'll figure out a way to, to make this work well and you know i actually find him to be quite proactive in this i mean even the the timing of the the bickle teravinen deal i mean he didn't wait until the draft to try to get that trade done or, or right until the end of the bio period decide what he was going to do with bickle i mean clearly he approaches these situations with a plan and and executes it even the brandon sod deal last year came a couple days before july 1st when you know obviously brandon sod was going to likely be a target for an offer sheet although mm-hmm. we we so rarely see those, but I mean, he was certainly among a player that, that could get one and, and Chicago would have found itself in a real jam in that case, you know, basically where they're, they're losing him for the draft pick compensation, but, but not, you know, necessarily the quality of players they got in, in getting an Isimov, for example, out of that deal who obviously fits so well with our Tammy Panarin this year, uh, you know, playing with him. So, you know, I, I, you know, for all the ways that they've, they have created problems for themselves, I feel like that Stan Bowman's pretty good about, you know, basically making the hard decision and, and trading the player that I'm sure in his heart of hearts does not want to trade, but but knows he has to do it and, and kind of follows a plan. And, you know, I still expect the Blackhawks to be a, a team to be reckoned with next season. And I'm sure he's got a few more moves up his sleeve here, too. Yeah. Now, so let's talk about this from the Hurricanes perspective, because I think that they really did a commendable job here, sort of playing the role of the vulture where they had this cap they have this cap situation right now which is a legitimate asset for them because they have so much room to take on contracts and instead of waiting to spend it more recklessly on july 1st they they were proactive themselves here and they took advantage of the situation and they for their efforts they're going to get a guy that's 21 years old who just pretty much played his first full nhl season and everyone agrees has endless potential so it seems like a a no-brainer move for them yeah, there's, there's a couple things here, too. I mean, they'd even put themselves in pretty good position with their draft choices and, you know, getting that second round pick uh, in the Eric Stahl deal uh, in addition to a prospect so that, that, you know, in some ways you can see this in extension as, as the return uh, for what they got for Eric Stahl at the deadline, which is obviously a difficult move to, to make in that situation where he has a no-move clause and is essentially controlling where he goes. And, and the Rangers no doubt knew that. But, 
you know, I feel like it's a, it's a really good use of their assets to to turn it into a player that that can actually play for them right away. And and you know, teams like the Hurricanes, which you know expect to be somewhat on the rise. I mean, they had they had a very good regular season, I think, versus where most people you know had projected them to be this season that, that just passed. And and to get a player that that can be part of your lineup right away, as opposed to just another highly ranked prospect, I think is a real positive out of this. And and you're right. I mean, they they had to to do some work to get to the salary cap floor. They're they're much closer now today after this trade and then signing Cam Ward back to that deal yesterday, but uh, uh, than they were, you know, leading into this, but it's, it's a very smart use of that resource. And, you know, if, if, you know, I wouldn't rule out them using it again in another deal. I mean, there, there's only about three or four teams around the league, Arizona being one, uh, New Jersey. We saw them trade for the Mark Savard contract with Florida last week. But mm-hmm. there's only a couple teams that are really in position in a meaningful way to take on uh, what, what I guess we'll call bad salary uh, and, you know, in, in order to, to get ahead at this right. point. And, and uh, you know, so I think Carolina will still be a popular trade partner for other teams looking to, to make similar type of moves. And, uh, you know, credit to them for for striking when they when they did because you know I, I don't see any way that they're going to regret this deal and you know I'm sure the Blackhawks knew that it was one of those trades you just got to kind of swallow you swallow your pride as you're making it when right. you're in Stan Bowman's shoes but you know this this is a, a big win for the Hurricanes and I guess the only issue is how good a season will Tavo Teravainen have and you know he is entering his his second contract next summer and mm-hmm. you know maybe maybe that could be the downside is if you you have to end up paying him a lot of money but that's probably a good problem to have if you're in Ron Francis's shoes. Yeah, and I I think that sometimes we as a collective can get a little carried away with getting too excited about prospect groups and young cores because, you know, we just naturally assume that there's going to be this uh, progressive uh, development and, you know, sometimes teams plateau or or there's injuries or guys don't necessarily develop the way we we thought they would, ideally. But, I mean, you look at this core of this team and there's really, there's a lot to like. I mean, Jeff Skinner, for all intents and purposes, is the grizzled vet of the team and he's like 24 years old. And then you have guys like Victor Rask and Elias Lindholm and Tara Vine and now and and Sebastian Aho and Alexi Alexi Sarella are coming on the way and then the blue line is ridiculous with Falk and Slavin and Pesci and Hannafin and Flurries on the way and and they've got a lot of picks this year so I think that you know for them they've really positioned themselves nicely here where um, if a lot of these guys start kind of uh, developing at the same time and growing together they could be both a really fun team to watch but also a really a really competitive team yeah that's a lot of tickets in the lottery that you just highlighted there yeah. I mean even if they don't all get to the potential that some see for them, clearly, you know, they've got a really good young core, one of probably the better ones in the league. I mean, maybe a little shy on the top, top end talent. You know, obviously Carolina hasn't been a team that's picked first overall and, and gotten a McDavid or an Eichel somewhere along the way, but uh, you know, a really solid foundation there. And, and, you know, if, if they are able to, to spend a bit of money, I think that they can add to it enough where we should expect them to be at least be, you know, fairly competitive this year. And, and uh, you know, it's been a long time coming. And I, and I think for all the discussion about, uh, you know, what, what the future of that team is or that market, I mean, I think the first and foremost is they do have to get a competitive team on the ice. Uh, to get more fans in the building and to create more excitement, because when you have the kind of prolonged losing uh, number of losing seasons that they've had, I think that that's you know partly explains the issues that the, that team has had. So uh, you know the timing seems to be right, and, and I guess this is the product of those losing seasons as they've been able to to draft a lot of these guys into their organization. But um, you know they they really were to my eyes one of the pleasant surprises last year. Uh, just you know even some of those D's that you hit on were surprisingly 
solid contributors at age 20, 21. And, yeah. and, you know, you can't count on that. So you're right. It's not going to be a straight arrow of progression in the positive direction. It never works that way. But uh, I still I still feel as though that, that the Hurricanes have a team. Uh, a lot of franchises would probably, you know, trade straight up for what they have just because the, the, the prospect for the future is so strong. Well, the question for them is is how quickly they want to make that next step into being uh, in the playoff discussion. I mean, they were they were sort of on the fringe this past year, and and you mentioned the kind of getting the fan base on board, and it makes sense that you if you were a fan of this team, you'd obviously gravitate towards them just because there is so much young talent to get excited about. But at the same time, I'm not sure if they ended the year as this, but I know that at various points they had the league's worst attendance, and I think that. You know, you look at the team and under Bill Peters, they really had this great structure and you could see sort of the exoskeleton of what this team will look like once everything comes together. And they were a really strong possession team. But at the same time, they got, the, I'm looking, the second worst save percentage in the league. And they just re-signed the guy that was partly responsible for that to a two-year, $3.3 million contract per season. So I'm kind of wondering what's going on there. It seems like a interesting situation that they decided to go back to the Cam Ward well. Yeah, I mean, clearly this this is a move tinged with some level of centrality, you know, comfort level with the player, a guy that's been, you know, really one of the core members of the team, the only remaining member from that 06 Cup team now that Eric Stahl has been traded away. And, and uh, you know, I, I saw some people fussing over the amount of money in the deal. That didn't bother me quite as much. I think the two-year term at least softens any any blow there. But, you know, the real question, and I talked to a few people around the league last night that, I think a lot of teams are handicapping is are they done in goal are they going to you know try to maybe move Eddie Lack or and, and get in the mix for for one of the other goaltenders that's available either via trade or uh you know obviously potentially on the free agent market someone like James Reimer or are they are they literally going to go forward here with the exact same uh goaltending duo that that you know as you mentioned derailed them a bit last season and you know right now we don't have a we don't have an answer on that I don't think that there's a clear sense out of Carolina what their exact plans are with the goaltending. But, you know, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of them, uh, you know, moving lack or finding a way to, to get uh, someone else in there to, to go with Cam Ward. And, uh, you know, obviously when they surveyed other potential UFAs that they felt Cam gave them the best offer at that sort of the term and money he was willing to take, because, you know, I know for sure James Reimer's probably not coming to you on a two-year term unless he has to. And he certainly is hoping to get more than $3.3 million on his you know, average deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the goal the goaltending market this year is definitely uh, questionable, to say the least. I think that I think we did uh, this trade uh, justice. Let's, let's move on to the other big news that happened this week, and I, uh, that was Randy Carlisle being hired by the Ducks. And I'm very curious for your take on this because you obviously saw a lot of Carlisle up close in Toronto. And I, just, uh, I guess I'll lead off with this. What, what am I missing here? Why did the Ducks make this move? Well, you know, I think that we have to view this decision in the wider context of of what he means to that organization, his past relationship with the core players, because, you know, I think a, a little bit overlooked in the Ducks' struggles this year and the way that the team and Bob Murray reacted to it was he really wasn't happy with, with Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry. And, and, you know, he said as much on a couple occasions, but I don't think you know, it, it was sort of absorbed as much by people, a lot, lot focused on Bruce Boudreaux, whether he would be fired in, you know, October, November, December. Uh, but, you know, I think one of the reasons he wasn't, and, and, you know, obviously that was discussed when they were, you know, way down in, in the standings, but was that uh, Bob Murray felt that his, his big guys didn't come with the, either the right mindset, the right, uh, you know, level of conditioning or whatever it was, but he wasn't happy with those guys. And, 
So I think that we, we view this move in two ways. One, you know, they're going to retain, from all intents and purposes, the, the same you know, coaching staff that, that led them to the best penalty kill and power play in the league. So mm-hmm. Paul McLean and, and Trent Yanni will be there, presumably, you know, I think, running things as they did. I, I don't think Randy Carlisle is going to come in and structurally get involved in any of that. And I think a lot of this is about motivation and, and trying to get at those guys who've, who've been through life with Randy before. You, you know, he says he's softened a bit, but he's still a bit of a hard-ass coach. And mm-hmm. I think in some on some level, this is about, you know, sending a message to those players because the Ducks realize, you know, they, they've got about a two-year window by their own estimation to really try to get over the hump here. Um, you know, personally, I wouldn't have fired Bruce Boudreaux if I was in their situation. I think that was that was probably, I mean, I understand the pressures and the, you know, them, you know, connecting the dots between the four game seven losses and, you know, in a row. Um, but, you know, if you were going to hire someone, they, they don't want a lot to change. I think they just want to try to reach those key players in a different way. And, and, you know, given their relationship with Randy and probably they, they know the good and the bad, the, you know, those, those key players, uh, you know, this is, this is, was a solution they came up with. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Here's my coaching theory that I'll run by you. And, and I don't, when I say this, I, I know it can be interpreted this way, but I don't mean, mean to sort of diminish the job NHL coaches do because it's obviously a very difficult, demanding one. And there's a reason they make the money they do. And I, I don't think I could do the job myself, but it's easy to kind of uh, sit back here and, and criticize. But when I look at the landscape, I think there's like 15 to 20 guys around the league in terms of head coaches that are all just okay. And, you know, if they're helping or hurting the team, it's only incrementally and you can just sort of shuffle them around. It's really tough for them to distinguish themselves. But then that leads about five guys that I think are really good and really make a tangible difference for their team's performance and then there's five guys who are dragging their team down and and sort of making questionable moves and running questionable systems and I think that Boudreaux was pretty clearly amongst closer to that top tier and I think that the last time we saw Randy Carlisle it'd be impossible to argue that he was anything but in that bottom tier so that's why I think that this move for me is just sort of a, a baffling one. Right. Well, to me, coaching comes down to there's there's two areas that you grade them. There's the human element, which is certainly very difficult to measure, but mm-hmm. clearly reaching your players, uh, trying to, to make everyone feel comfortable, give them a role, you know, get the best out of them as individuals, I think is part of it. And obviously that can be tied to systems as well. And then there is systems and, you know, within a coaching staff systems wise, I think that there's ways, you know, with, with the assistance that you have, to get around it. And and I I think some coaches, and I'm not going to name names in this case, but I do know some pretty well-respected coaches who, you know, over a quiet moment or a beer will acknowledge that they're not the best systems people and that they rely heavily on their assistants to, to, you know, either detect tendencies in the other teams or or to help come up with game planning. And that a lot of their job is, is really, you know, interpersonal and and communicating that plan and and trying to make sure everyone feels part of it. And, and, you know, so if we view it in this context and and we're going to have to see here, I mean, I, I'm not sure either. And I can see everyone's trepidation. I mean, the Leafs couldn't get out of their own way. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it got to the point at the end of Randy's time in Toronto where he, he even understood the problems. I mean, he was saying the same things in his you know, press scrums and that, that that a lot of the sharp analysts were about the Leafs' issues with shot suppression, with, you know, obviously being outshot by a huge margin, you know, a big part of the time. He was, he was citing that as a problem too, but he wasn't able to, to find a solution. And, you know, part of that had to be personnel, but, but, you know, he didn't make a market difference 
in that area with that team. And, and, you know, ultimately I think that's why I was fired, but you know, if he, if he's in a situation and I'm with, with clearly a better team than the one he had in Toronto. And, and if the guys around him are able to, to maybe, I don't want to say help him out, but carry some of the load systems wise, perhaps the one thing that we're all missing and we won't really know until we see how it works is if maybe Randy can reach some of the players in a different way and, and motivate them in a different way. I mean, I think it's much like Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh, you know, one of his, to me, you know, and being around that team throughout the playoffs, one of the key differences that he had is he really, he really got the guys to buy in. And obviously there were some uh, changes made to the, their structural game. They, they were flying the zone all over the place. I mean, they had a clear game plan to get the puck out and up to their forwards as much as possible to, to truly just play offense to avoid having to play defense. And it got them through with, you know, relatively no-name blue line. But, you know, I think a lot of what he did is he, he reached the players in a way that Mike Johnson wasn't able to and, and you know, got his big guys on board. And, you know, we'll see if, if perhaps Randy in, in a different circumstance, uh, surrounded by different coaches and, and different personnel can can have a bit more success. Honestly, it won't surprise me. And, and you know, I, I know sort of I've seen the Twitter reaction and the narrative that this is going to be an abject disaster. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching it with slightly more of an open mind and, and, and I'm not glossing over anything I saw in Toronto because he really couldn't make that difference. He was frustrated by the end, but I think in this circumstance, there's a chance it works. Although my big caveat through it all is I wouldn't have fired Bruce Boudreaux to begin with, just because I thought he was making, you know, clearly that team was, was a very good team his whole time there. Yeah. And I think that it's it's interesting that distinction you bring up because I think the, the job Bruce Boudreaux did last year and making those tactical adjustments in clearly at the start of the year, they were playing a certain way and, and they were in a very good possession team at five on five and they just couldn't buy any goals. And, and instead of waiting for the shooting percentage to come around, they pretty clearly turned to a, uh, you know, a more LA King style shot suppression game where they were bottling things up in the neutral zone and just sort of grinding down their opponents and it they obviously had that amazing turnaround as the year went along and I kind of wonder if maybe now that those adjustments have been made and they saw the success playing that way and the assistants are still there maybe they'll keep those same adjustments and keep playing that way but just rely on Carlisle to do different things of course as you said we we won't really know until the season starts but that is an interesting point that I haven't really heard people make. Right. And, and the issue is, is that, you know, and, and I, you know, I've obviously been following the, the push towards stats the last number of years in the league is that, you know, some of that interpersonal stuff is tough to measure. And I think some of it's probably easy to overvalue too. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, when you're around a good team, but, but there, there still has to be some element of that. I mean, any one of us that does any job, I mean, there's a difference between a good boss and a bad boss. And that doesn't always mean someone who's positive with you or negative or either way, but you know, there's certain people you, you know, I've even found in my career that you want to work for a little bit more than others that, 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 that you feel like get you or that are on your side or, or whatever it may be. And, and uh, I'm not you know saying 100% that that's going to be what happens here, but I, that has to be part of the thinking because, you know, Travis Green is, is well regarded uh, clearly as, as a future NHL coach. And, you know, I think that they didn't want to throw him into the situation where essentially it, it's, you know, it's win now or else. I mean, Randy Carlisle got a two year contract. Uh, with an option for a third year, depending on playoff success. So, I mean, he's, it's a really short term move. The, the idea of it is anyway, I mean, mm-hmm. if they go and win a Stanley cup, he could be there five or 10 years, who knows, but um, you know, for, for now it, it's, it's, it was him or Rick bonus essentially. And, you know, Rick bonus, a uh, great man, but hasn't been a head coach in this league in a long time and been, been a long time, basically number two assistant uh, in Vancouver. And then now the last few years in Tampa. So they, they wanted a steady hand and an experienced guy, uh, I think after kind of flirting with the idea of trying to hire the next great coach and uh, we'll see it's it's an all or nothing gambit I, w- I would think 
uh, you know, for Bob Murray, if this if this blows up in his face, uh, it could very well be his job too. I mean, that that organization is kind of approaching a crossroads here, one way or another. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, the the catch is that this Ducks team is is really good again, and they're going to be really deep, and uh, we'll we'll see. Like, we might just be overvaluing this whole coaching thing, and and the players might just be so good themselves that it won't even really wind up mattering that much. Well, and, and but the one thing I wonder, they have a very important summer too, and, and mm. it hasn't been discussed too much because there's obviously so much focus the last few weeks on the coach search. But, you know, with the restricted free agents they have, with the likelihood that they're going to trade one of their goaltenders this summer, I mean, Frederick Anderson, most people, including myself, had assumed was the shoe-in for that. But, you know, with the way things kind of went down the stretch, do they contemplate trading John Gibson? I, I don't think they ultimately will because he's at such a favorable cap hit. He's still so young and, and thought of as, as a future star in this league. But, you know, with their defenseman, with Ricard Raquel needing uh, a new deal as an RFA, uh, Sammy Votnin and Hampus Lindholm, I mean, there's there's some key personnel moves to be made here and likely one trade you know, for the goaltender. And, and, you know, I think there's a strong possibility they deal one of those defensemen, likely Sammy Votnin, if I was to to be handicapping it. But those are two important trades to make if you're in Bob Murray's shoes, just because, you know, they, they will kind of erode somewhat the depth of the team and, and depending on what the return is. And uh, I'm not saying that they're, you know, that those moves will determine one way or another whether they have a chance at the cup next year. But I still think that there's an interesting summer to be had around Anaheim, especially with, both Randy Carlisle and Bob Murray now talking about the need to move towards more of a speed type of team and, and you know, maybe looking for different types of players than we've seen uh, be what the Ducks, you know, fielded in the past. Mm, yeah. Okay. Uh, one final topic before I let you go. And uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, the expansion draft and, and, and the rules and, and everything around it just because you have been on the forefront of reporting on it. And I think there's still a lot of uncertainty and stuff in the air that's yet to be answered and resolved, really. But one thing that seems pretty clear from all of these proposed rules uh, rules for this draft coming up is I think the league is pretty clearly making a concerted effort to ensure that this team is at least something resembling competent right off the bat, right? Well, they're, they're going to have a chance at some names, that's for sure, just by the way it's structured and by how few you know players each team can protect in, in essence. And, you know, it's it's really no guarantee that the team will be competitive even still. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, as someone pointed out to me, it works for another team. It all depends on who that GM is. Like, is, is this guy was kind of saying is, is they've done their mock expansion drafts behind the scenes uh, with his team. Like he said that there's going to be a lot of sort of semi big names, you know, players that have accomplished something in the league available. And then, you know, what, what really will separate whether that team is any good is if they can, you know, find the players that, that maybe haven't done a lot in the NHL yet, but that are on their way up because that that's probably the key more than, you know, getting a 32 year old on a hefty contract with who might sell some names or jerseys or something. I mean, really, if you're talking about being a competitive team, they have to find the players that are kind of trying to be snuck through or that, you know, are, are going to be, you know, on the, on the cusp of starting breaking into the NHL. And, you know, that'll be a difficult task. And, you know, one thing that I'm looking forward to, I'm heading down to Vegas uh, for, the, you know, what we expect will be the expansion announcement next week. But I, I'm very curious to see who they install in the hockey operations roles and, you know, how quickly we get an understanding of what that team will be like, because that's really the most important thing is, is they embark on the year here that they have to, to be ready uh, to start building their team and, and to ultimately be ready from the expansion draft from their end of things as well. Yeah, well, I, I, that's a good point. I feel like a lot of these teams are are going to be hoping that the you know they're going to throw out some uh, some teasers here and hope that the Vegas team is going to bite and, and potentially do them a favor by taking out some of these contracts that they don't really want on their cap anymore uh, off of their hands, right? Like there's a bunch of names here that could easily wind up going, and, and the team might not be that sad to actually see them go. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Dean Lombardi's counting on Dustin Brown getting picked up, but <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of one of the more obvious ones. But I, you know, I, I doubt. Well, I guess we'll have to see. I don't know who the GM is, but I would be surprised if that would be someone that would interest them hmm. uh, at that point. But you know, it it will be. It's going to be a, kind of a fascinating process, and you know, I actually see this as an opportunity. I mean, some teams, some I, I kind of see this falling a few ways. I mean, we don't know. It's been 20 years almost since. Uh, we've seen this happen in the NHL, and the rules around this one are are much different. And now there's a salary cap as well, which is kind of an, an extra layer of of complication to the whole thing. But you know, I I think some teams are probably not going to worry about the expansion draft enough that they're just going to assume it's all going to work out. You're probably get some teams that that outthink themselves and almost do too much. And and you know, there, there's really some, a room here, I think, because we're going to see different types of player movement just as a result of the expansion draft. You know, for the smart teams, you know, to to find a way to add assets perhaps uh, through trades with, with teams looking to maybe shuffle some guys out. And, you know, I, I'm, I think it's going to be a wild 12 months. My only slight bit of trepidation about predicting, you know, all this player movement is, is you know, I don't think there's enough cap room. It doesn't feel like to go around. And we've seen over a number of years here that it seems difficult for teams to, to find creative ways to make trades where the money in matches the money out. But, um, you know, the, certainly the industry as a whole, my sense, is bracing for, you know, a, a pretty crazy year, you know, starting with next week as we head to the entry draft and then get the, you know, the, the full picture of the expansion draft and the timing of that and, and you know, into free agency and everything. So, I, you know, I think it's going to be, if you're into player movement and transactions, I think it's going to be a very good year uh, to be arm, armchair quarterbacking at all. Well, yeah, and and I think it's also going to sort of give teams incentive to discuss trading names that you would otherwise think would would be non-starters, right? Like I I think that uh, especially in in net where like the Penguins, for example, with a guy like Marc Andre Fleury, if they can only keep protect the one goalie, they're pretty clearly going to protect Matt Murray, which leaves them uh, they're not going to want to just lose Marc Andre Fleury for nothing in this expansion draft. So they're going to be much more likely to pursue a trade there, which they wouldn't have otherwise before, and that's I think we're going to be the beneficiaries of that because it's going to create a lot more movement and excitement around the league it's true you know it's funny i get some mixed signals out of that that pittsburgh situation about you know what how they'll you know proceed with mark andre Fleury, and, and even you know kind of have gotten the the strong whiff that maybe they don't trade them this summer that they enter next year with them and, and count on either trading them before you know the trade deadline during the season if if, if they're comfortable with matt murray and net or you know, perhaps even, you know, getting all the way to the expansion draft next year and doing, you know, something that we've seen done in the past expansion drafts with, you know, maybe, you know, offering something to the expansion team not to take, you know, one of Marc-Andre Fleury or Matt Murray, mm. you know, trading them a preemptive pick or prospect. That That's one wrinkle that, that happened in the past there. And, you know, I don't think it, by any stretch has that decision been made. You know, they probably haven't even worked off the hangovers in Pittsburgh just yet. And we're not even <laughs> a week since they, they won the Stanley Cup and, you know, I, I really get don't think that the decision has been made, but I was surprised at how strong the sentiment was leaving. You know, after being around that team, that that they that they were really contemplating bringing both guys back to next season. Because one wrinkle that I haven't heard discussed too much with next year is not only do we have a World Cup, but each team is also getting a one week bye as part of that season. Mm-hmm. And, and and the sort of result of all that is probably the most compressed schedule the NHL's ever played with. There's going to be, I'm sure, more back-to-backs for every team than there ever has been in the past. And, you know, having two goaltenders in that kind of scenario was very important, and especially, I think, in a case of Matt Murray, who's, you know, looks to be a star at some point, but is yet to play kind of the rigors of a full NHL season. Right. And, you know, if Pittsburgh feels that it has a chance to win again next year, which... 
you know, the, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't think that, you know, heading to this off season, you know, they might play it a little more conservative with Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, than other teams. Whereas I do think, you know, there's a very high, for example, chance that, that we see Freddie Anderson dealt, uh, you know, really probably to, to Toronto or Calgary, mm-hmm. uh, to the two most obvious options, um, you know, at some point this summer. Yeah. Well, we'll be tracking all of it. And uh, listen, it's going to be a fun summer. It's going to be busy and it's going to be filled with all sorts of these moves. And hopefully as they happen, we'll be able to uh, get you back on the show to to break it all down. Well, I'm going to disappear for two weeks in July, so you won't be able to reach me then. But uh, other than that, uh, you know, I'm always happy to come on with you, my friend. Excellent, man. Well, uh, enjoy the off season here uh, in the in between all the all the new breaking moves and uh, and we'll chat soon. OK, sounds good. This is the best time of year. So I hope uh, I hope the listeners enjoy it. OK. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.